0: Everybody loves the touchdown.
1: Goes to the back of the end zone, and it is a grand by Holmes. The
0: grand slam.
2: Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam.
0: The buzzer beater. That's it to
2: LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! LeBron
0: James! Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up? Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger.
2: Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week in our next segment, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. It's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. We'll give you the latest news from around the world of sports business. And we've got another athlete caught in the cross lights, the PR nightmare of the week. Who is it? Stick around for our next segment and find out. In segment three... Some interesting numbers from the Wall Street Journal this week in regards to how much money the NFL may lose if they don't have a new collective bargaining agreement in place by March 3rd. We will break down those staggering numbers for you in segment three. It could be ugly for the NFL if they don't get a deal done by March 3rd. In segment four, Rand Gatlin. He's the president and founder of Synergy Sports. We've had Rand on before. The bombshell article coming out in Sports Illustrated from former sports agent Josh Lux, where he talks about the fact that he paid 30 college athletes. We'll break that down with Rand Gatlin. And I'm going to tell you later in the show, a monster guest coming up on our show next week. I got to tell you, Griggs, totally captivated by the Chilean miners' coverage, Oakley, Brilliant, brilliant marketing. They send $450 pair of sunglasses to the 33 miners. They get millions of dollars worth of
3: media exposure, a lot of goodwill. Kudos to Oakley for that brilliant marketing move. I agree. And, uh, you know, I was captivated too. I just couldn't turn it off. I've been watching it here in the studio and at home. It's a crazy story. Such a great story. And as I said on Twitter this week, makes BP
2: look even worse for how they handled their crises. The Chilean government, everyone, great job. So happy. Happy that all those people are up and safe and a uh, great move by Oakley. All right, headlines of the week coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
0: This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. I'm only
2: Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. It's time, baby.
1: Special news bulletin.
2: At Sports Business
0: Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines.
1: I want to be in the headlines. On
2: Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. You need to be in the
1: headlines.
2: It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headlines, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. We told you last week that Red Sox owner John Henry is making an attempt to buy English Premier League club Liverpool. And we also told you there were probably going to be some legal proceedings. Well, Henry went to London this week to try and seal his deal to buy Liverpool only to be pitched into a one billion dollar legal battle with co-owners tom hicks and george gillette this one is going to be ugly and what has happened is basically a texas state district court has granted a temporary restraining order preventing the board from selling the club to henry the next hearing is going to be on october 25th but as we told you last week hicks and gillette are not going quietly they think the club is being sold at a price that is way under value. Plus, I think they're just a little bit uh, angry that John Henry, the Red Sox owner, may be swooping in to buy this team. But, uh, you know, Griggs, the only people uh, profiting off of
3: this mess are the lawyers. You got it, and we called this one, I mean, the crystal ball. We should have had it in here last week because uh, nailed it. I mean, we knew this was coming, and and now we're seeing the beginnings of it, and it's probably a process that's going to take a while. So keep October 25th on your calendar. That's
2: the next scheduled hearing. We'll see what unfolds from there. Our next headline... NFL owners have approved a five-year deal that sees Nike acquire uniform and sideline apparel rights for the league's 32 teams, while New Era, the longtime Major League Baseball on-field rights holder for the first time, gets NFL sideline rights for caps. This is a big deal. This goes into effect for Nike April of 2012. But, uh, you know, there were reports that Reebok and Adidas One company were paying a reported $25 million a year for the rights to the apparel and uniforms for the NFL, but they were making over $500 million annually from the sales of that apparel in retail outlets. So, you know, Griggs, the NFL is the number one sports league in America. Big, big jersey sales, big, big sales of NFL products, and for Nike to get their hands on this makes perfect sense, and you see what Nike has done with the college football uniforms and some of the high-tech things they've done, plus you combine that with the fact that they've got guys like Drew Brees and Adrian Peterson wearing the pretty high-tech gear in the NFL. This deal makes sense from almost every angle.
3: Yeah, it's a great deal, obviously, for Nike. They know what they're doing, and it's going to be great for the players, too. I think they're going to love, as you said, the high-tech stuff they do, the no-sweat stuff they do, the cool-down stuff they do. It's only going to help the players, and you know it's going to look good because it's Nike.
2: Now, there are some financial analysts out there that talk about how this will be an increase in Nike's company earnings per share between 2-3% to 3% in 2010. Their stock was up this week, just based on the news of this deal, which again, doesn't go into effect until 2012. On the other end of the spectrum, it's going to be a crippling blow to Adidas and Reebok. Reebok, again, was the apparel provider for the NFL. They will continue to be through 2012, but it's really going to hurt their brand here in the United States. Our next headline, the Pasadena City Council this past Monday approved a $152 million renovation plan for the 88-year-old Rose Bowl Stadium. The council approved a 30-year lease extension with UCLA and the Tournament of Roses to continue playing at the Bowl. Construction will run in three phases beginning in January and ending in 2013 to avoid disrupting games. The number of luxury suites will be increased from 550 to 2500 the site of the annual rose bowl game also will get a new scoreboard safety improvements, more restrooms and more concession stands griggs if you've been to the rose bowl like i have this is long long overdue
3: that place has needed a facelift for a long time never been there but uh, you can tell it's it's been used let's just say that so i think this is going to be a great move for for everybody involved on this one i'll use a word other than outdated How about this word?
2: Gross. The bathrooms? (laughs) Gross. The concession stands? I'm surprised the Department of Health didn't shut them down. This was long overdue. And, you know, it's not easy to renovate a facility that is 88 years old, but we'll see what they come up with. And it sounds like it's going to be a three year process. So it will not be a fast moving process. Our final headline of the week TBS averaged a 2.8 U.S. rating and 4.4 million viewers for its 15 Major League Baseball League Division Series telecast. That's down 9.7% and 7% respectively from a 3.1 rating and 4.7 million viewers for 13 telecasts during last year's LDS. Not great. The series weren't super competitive except for Tampa Bay and Texas, which went five games. I think the uh, League Championship Series will be more competitive. I really am looking forward to the NLCS, the Game 1 start, which we'll give you some more numbers for in a moment, in Philadelphia between Roy Halladay and Tim Lincecum. That's going to be a pitching matchup for the ages, so we'll see how that goes. All right, told you at the top of the show, yet another athlete finds himself in trouble this week. Another guy caught in the cross lights.
0: For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights.
2: Well, the NFL is not shying away from allegations that Minnesota Vikings quarterback Brett Favre sent inappropriate voicemails and photos to former Jets employee Jen Sturger when he played for the team in 2008. The Vikings are nervous that Favre could be suspended under the league's policy. You know, Griggs, there's so many levels of this story. A, there's Brett Favre's reputation... Brett Favre makes about seven million dollars a year in off-the-field endorsements, and he's not Tiger Woods. I think if this is found out to be true, it's not gonna be a crushing blow to him like it was with Tiger Woods, not saying what he's done is appropriate, but he just doesn't have the portfolio of someone like Tiger Woods. He's been with Sears, he's been with Wrangler jeans, but he's kind of the, you know, the good old boy, he wears jeans, he's a gunslinger. You know, this isn't something that's Particularly surprising, especially in this day and age, but. It's a really negative thing for the Minnesota Vikings, especially if it leads to a suspension. And they're paying him a lot of money. He could lose more money, frankly, from being suspended. His incredible consecutive game streak could come to an end. And it's just another example, whether it's Tiger Woods' sexting, Greg Oden's pictures where he sent pictures of his genitalia over, you know, uh, the Internet. When are people going to learn that we live in a day and age where basically anything
3: can be transmitted instantly? Especially with the athletes. I mean, and like Favre, you know, the only thing that I think is going to hurt him on this is the timing because he's not playing the best football right now. You know, he's got a low pass rating. People are kind of wondering what's Favre. Is this his final year, this kind of thing, and then this hits. If it's true, I think that could hurt him just because it's going to be a package deal. No pun intended.
2: Well, and it's bad for the league. You're looking at potentially the best quarterback of all time, at least statistically, And he could be playing his last season. And this is not good for the league, especially a league that has had to endure things like Ben Roethlisberger and Michael Vick. So it's a really tough call for Commissioner Goodell. There are people out there that think, well, you know, Favre's elbow is hurting. Maybe they'll do a wink-wink suspension and he'll miss a few games. He'll say it's his elbow. I wouldn't rule anything out here. But, you know, we remember with other athletes... Michael Jordan that you know they've had some missteps off the court and the league has wanted to keep that pretty private. And they've they've taken care of their marquee athletes, so to speak. Is the NFL going to do that here? I don't know, but I'll be real interested to see how Commissioner Roger Goodell handles this. Give him a lot of credit for how he handled the Ben Roethlisberger situation. But uh, we'll see how he handles this with Brett Favre. All right, coming up next, more NFL discussion. The Wall Street Journal had some sobering financial... Information for NFL owners this week. How bad will it be for the NFL if there's a work stoppage next year? How bad will it be if they don't have a new collective bargaining agreement by March 3rd? We'll discuss those numbers coming up next. These are my guys, Hicks and Hicks, a great band. This music takes us to break. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com
0: SBRadio.
2: at 503 701 2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back and we've been talking for months about how next year there could be work stoppages in the NFL and in the NBA. Well, some interesting numbers released this week from the Wall Street Journal in regards to how much money an NFL work stoppage could cost owners and the league. So we've got some interesting numbers to break down for you this segment. The owners met in Chicago this week. They were presented with a sobering financial forecast. And really what this shows us, Griggs, is a lot of people think, okay, as long as they get a deal done by next summer before the preseason starts, preseason of 2011, we're good. Everyone's good. But it's not true at all. They've got to have a deal done by March third. If they don't, then it's going to be ugly for the NFL and the owners. And this Wall Street Journal article points out that they could lose a billion dollars. And they talk about how they could lose $400 million in March alone because it's the main month for season ticket renewals. The other thing to remember is if you do get into a work stoppage, and I found this the most interesting number of all. I've always wondered how much money Approximately, do NFL teams make for a home game? This article says that each home team could lose $8 million per canceled home game. So, you know, some things we learned this week. A, a deal's got to get done by March 3rd. If it doesn't, you're looking at $400 million in losses in March alone, probably. If. The deal drags on if they don't get a deal done and you start losing games into the season. $8 million per home date.
3: We're talking lots of money here. Unbelievable. I mean, those numbers are just staggering. And you'd think this has got to happen. I mean, NFL runs the sports world money-wise. And looking at those numbers, you've got to think these guys are going to be working night and day to get that March 3rd date. It's a $9 billion league. But you've got the owners who are going to ask the players to take an
2: 18% pay cut. The only saving grace, as we discussed with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports a few months ago, is if they go to an 18-game regular season schedule, maybe the owners don't ask the players to take that pay cut, and in lieu of playing those two extra games, they still get the same type of money. But then the players are going to say, look, we're playing two additional regular season games. We want more money. This thing could get ugly. Now, there are so many different levels of revenue for the NFL. It would take us hours to go through all of them, but let me go through a few right now. You've got sponsors at the league level, at the team level. If there are no games, they're going to want a reduction in what they're paying, or they're going to want a refund. Because if there's no NFL games, my product isn't being exposed. There's no TV broadcast. There's no games in the stadium. I want some money back or I want all of my money refunded for that year. Sources have said that EA Sports already has requested a $30 million reduction in its scheduled payments because of the labor uncertainty. Verizon is another company that could be asking for money back. You have all of these sponsors who are going to go to the league and go to the teams and say, look, you're not playing football?
3: I want my money back. Yeah, and it's just gonna—it's one of these things that's gonna trickle down. I mean, uh, the uh, all the arenas and the venues—they're gonna get—you know—they're gonna be like, "Hey, no one's playing here. We can't keep keep things open. We can't keep paying people and all that." I mean, it's just gonna go from one thing to the next to the sponsors to everything. Everything's gonna be affected by this.
2: Well, and like I just said, season ticket renewals in the NFL—the big the big month is March. So that's why if this goes on beyond March. If I'm a season ticket holder and I don't know if there's going to be football next season, am I going to go plunk down thousands of dollars on an NFL season ticket? Probably not. I'm going to wait and see if the labor unrest gets resolved. So there's so many things that are up in the air. And again, March is really the key time for getting something done. The next meeting is scheduled for December. A lot of people have a lot of incentive to get this done in December. You know, the other thing that's really interesting here, you've got new stadiums in the league, Griggs. You've got the brand new stadium in New York for the Jets and the Giants. You've got the brand new stadium, the Palace in Dallas, that is Jerry Jones's. they owe money on these there's debt payments there's debt services and all of those things would need to be renegotiated if there's no
3: football next season and potentially beyond that. Yeah the only happy people here are the creditors you know I mean because they're thinking hey if this doesn't get done like you're saying these, these arenas I mean there's billions of dollars in debt just sitting out there waiting to pay these these new places off and that's gonna, that's gonna hurt a lot of people Well, Sports Illustrated.com's Don Banks noted part
2: of the NFL owners meeting this week was given over to the league's preparations for a potential lockout of players next year and how clubs in the league office would handle cost-cutting staff reductions and pay cuts in the event no games were played. So, you know, we saw this with previous work stoppages in the NBA, in the NFL, in Major League Baseball. If you're a team, are you going to have to lay off employees? If you're the league office are you gonna to have to lay off employees? There are lots of people that could lose their jobs. Now, some of those people get hired back if the games come back. But one of the things, and this is something we haven't even talked about yet, Griggs, is you know the common fan just wants them to play football. The common fan just wants the NBA to play basketball. If you can't figure out how to divide billions of dollars, the common fan doesn't want to hear about it. And we saw baseball take years to get the fans back to the venues after the, I believe it was 1994 work stoppage, and as popular as the NFL is, if they have a prolonged work stoppage, it's going to
3: be really detrimental to the brand of the league, and fans aren't going to be happy. Yeah, and I think, like you're saying, this big thing in March because the season ticket renewals right there. I mean, that's a big. You know, I'm I'm leery if I'm going to my place to sign that, that you know, on the dotted line. Here's my money for the season tickets, not knowing if there's going to be a game. Uh, that's scary, if, you know, just as a ticket holder. I, I don't know if that's going to go down, and I think people are going to probably opt out of it if this isn't done. One of these days on our
2: show, I want to do kind of a comparison between the finances of an NBA work stoppage and the finances of an NFL work stoppage. But in a nutshell, you know, I don't think the NFL has nearly as much to overcome as the NBA. I think the NBA needs a complete financial shift, much like the NHL had a few years ago. I think the contracts need to be shortened so they're not guaranteed six- and seven-year deals. Um, in the NFL, you know, I kind of side with the players, as I've said before on this show, because of the fact the contracts aren't guaranteed. The signing bonuses are guaranteed. So if you get hurt, if you have a run-in with a coach, if you get in trouble off the field, if you're an NFL player, you can be waived tomorrow. Yes, you got that signing bonus, which those bonuses are getting bigger and bigger, but you're not really protected against injury. In the NBA, you've got guaranteed money. So if you're Tracy McGrady, if you're Allen Iverson, if you're Jermaine O'Neal, you can be in the last few years of a contract, not very productive at all, but be making 20 to $23 million a year. That's why, frankly, the NFL, the number 1 sports property in the United States, a $9 billion league, not million, billion-dollar league. If these guys can't figure out a way to divide that pie – Shame on them. The NBA, I agree, needs more of an overhaul. That might take longer to figure out. Plus, I don't think the NBA players have nearly as much leverage as the NFL players do. But the NFL has got to find a way around this. And now, again, this article points out midnight, the 11th hour, is not before the 2011 season starts next September for preseason. It's this March coming up 2011. And if they can't get this figured out, it's going to be disaster for the NFL. And we've talked about before how Roger Goodell, the commissioner, and DeMora Smith, the lead negotiator and the head of the NFL Players Association, this is their first showdown. They don't want to disappoint their constituencies and their groups. So it's going to be interesting, but they've got to come together. Everyone will uh, say they're heroes if they get this done before March. All right. Coming up next, Rand Gatlin from Synergy Sports, a bombshell article, confessions of a sports agent in Sports Illustrated this week. We're going to break that down with Rand Gatlin. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay
0: in the know at SportsBusinessRadio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR. We'll be right back.
1: You I'm so cold, yeah, hot type. Hot type. Hot type. I see
0: you get hot, tight,
1: hot, tight, hot, tight, tight, I hear you baby show me baby i'm a wild boy you trying to tame me baby to where i get it from the house can you keep me faithful got a lot of girls got a lot of flavors. that's why when i hit them they owe me to return the favor yeah i hear what you're
0: saying sports business radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports
2: Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game-ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners and ultimately I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience?
0: It probably
1: pays to go the extra step to build a consensus even though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense.
2: My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention?
1: You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody, you get to know them pretty well.
2: We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS.
1: What we want is for the best Two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's or what's bad for the BCS.
0: Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. This is Sports Business Radio.
2: My guest is Rand Gettlin of Synergy Sports. Synergy is a company that helps educate college athletes on their professional futures. He's an agent watchdog. We've had Rand on the show many times before. Rand, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio.
1: Brian, thanks for having me. Great to be back.
2: So this week, really a bombshell. Sports Illustrated releases a story, Confessions of a Sports Agent, Josh Lux, who was in the business for about 20 years, confesses that he paid 30 college athletes. When you heard about this story, what was your first reaction?
1: You know, it's, uh, it's absolutely monumental. Uh, it's unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it before. And the first thing that popped into my mind is if it's ever going to change, We're living in the time it's going to change right now. So, okay,
2: you say it's monumental, but you and I have had conversations on this show before. We know this stuff is going on in college sports. It's kind of the dirty little secret that people don't want to talk about. Is it monumental? Because now we have, really, for the first time, an agent saying, you know, I paid college players. To me, Rand, this is a little bit like when Jose Canseco wrote his book. And he said, there are steroid users in baseball, I'd estimate 30% of baseball players are using performance-enhancing drugs. People didn't really believe him, but it's turned out to be true. And is this going to blow the cover off this whole thing in college sports?
1: You know, I don't think that it, that really the, the powers that be have much of a choice but to dig into this with, uh, with with everything they've got. I think it absolutely is going to blow the cover off of things in college sports. When you look at this, he alleged that over 30 players were paid over a 20-year career. That's staggering because this was a guy who was a mid-tier agent. He was not a superstar. He certainly wasn't a bottom-dweller. And he also said in the article that only 10% or in interview, subsequent interviews that only 10% of his story was told. That's a scary thought. There have been thousands of agents who have passed through the football industry alone, that's not even counting basketball and this was only 10% of what occurred and we're talking about 30 players, all of whom were drafted in the NFL, uh, who were accepting benefits while student-athletes. Pretty incredible stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too. He really details how the whole process works. He talks about runners and you know people who get close to these college athletes. And as you and I have talked about, it's even easier to get close to the college athletes today through vehicles like Facebook, where you can find out exactly what they like, when their birthday is, what kind of music they're listening to, who they're hanging out with. I think the NCAA has a very tough job, and I think unless the NCAA and the NFL Players Association get together and crack down on agents and really join forces, I don't see how this gets any better.
1: I'm with you. I mean, it's impossible to solve with any one uh, singular approach. It's going to take a holistic approach, and it's going to take not only the NCAA, the NFLPA, all of the member institutions, all the individual universities, but also then the federal government and the enforcement agencies uh, that lie therein, and also the state-based agencies. The UAA and Sparta are the state-based and federal pieces of legislation that have been in place for years to combat this stuff, and they've just never been used. Thus, there really is no enforcement mechanism. Agents aren't really scared of going down and they've been operating with impunity for years. Well, with this article and everything else that's been going on with UNC, USC and all the other universities who've been in the spotlight, that all comes to a close. There will be a tremendous amount of scrutiny on these guys. People will go to jail. This will change the game forever.
2: The other thing that's happening, Rand, and you and I have talked about this, is whether it's agents getting out of the business like Josh Lux or if it's marketing representatives who have had deals go bad with players who told them they were going to be their agent when they went to the pro level and that didn't materialize we're now having more and more agents and marketing reps literally throw these college athletes under the bus and produce checks and documentation showing that there was illegal activity going on that seems to be much more common today right
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at Santonio Holmes. He was one of the guys that was named in the Sports Illustrated article. And they said that he was taking money from another agent. So when Josh Lux and Steve Feldman showed up to interview uh, uh, Santonio, Santonio said, Hey, I want to save you the time. Don't worry about it. I've been on the take for years. That's an interesting thing right there. Uh, extremely interesting. Because now Santonio comes out today and says, You know what? It's completely false. I never accepted any money. This is ridiculous. I don't even know this guy. Well, you know, that may be true. Maybe you don't remember him, but the uh, but the Assumption that that San Antonio never took anything from anybody at any time, given what we know to be the case in college football, I question it because this guy was pretty forthright with everything he put out there on the table. I wonder why he would throw out a lie like that. Seems pretty random.
2: We're joined by Rand Gatlin of Synergy Sports. Synergy is a company that helps educate college athletes on their professional futures, also an agent watchdog. Rand, you know, I just wonder if you're. New NCAA president, Mark Emmert, what do you do to A, start the dialogue with the NFL, but B, you know, the NCAA only has so much jurisdiction over all of this. What do you do to try and solve this problem?
1: Well, you know, they're already at the table. I mean, they've had multiple meetings, and it's been widely publicized. And there was an article that came out yesterday with Rachel Newman-Baker, the head of the Agents Gambling and Amateurism uh, Division over there at the NCAA, uh, who's in charge of enforcement in that realm, who said, you know, we're all meeting. The NFLPA, uh, state legislators, federal legislators – You know, any party that may have some influence or authority over these parties, we're meeting together to figure out what to do. Where do you start? I don't know. There's been a comment about Mark Emmert from one of his former colleagues who said, Mark Emmert's outlook is the NCAA has been punishing jaywalkers uh, with vigor while letting serial killers walk the streets with impunity. You know I think to some extent that's very true. At least it has been in the past. But I think the past three months have spoken for themselves. Look at what the NCAA has really done here. This is absolutely Uh, unprecedented. We've never seen anything like it. So what do they need to do? First of all, exactly what they've been doing for the three months, crack down and crack down hard. Secondly, ensure that they are forging strategic partnerships with those who have a stake in the game. Uh, Some of those people are going to be states. We've discussed this before. Financial impact for a state when a university like North Carolina's athletic program is brought to their knees the way they've been, is tremendous, and the economic impact uh, will be felt for years to come. So I think they need to really focus on ensuring that all parties are at the table cooperating, and we don't have a situation uh, like we've seen in the past, for instance, with our federal enforcement agencies and other realms where the CIA, the FBI, and all of these, and the NSA are not discussing things, and terrible things happen as a result bad analogy because we're talking about completely different scope, but here in this realm, we certainly hope to see all of these people come together work hard to come up with a solution, and it's not going to be easy. They're going to have to work their tails off, but I do think that it's possible to come up with uh, a solution that cleans up the industry 50-60% in a very short time, and that's a significant improvement over what we have today.
2: Rand, some people have suggested that now is the time to start paying college athletes. This is a multi-million, if not billion-dollar industry, far different than it was 20-30 to years ago, and some have said it's time to start paying college athletes. I don't know how you do that. That Dr. Brand, the late Dr. Brand, used to always tell me on this show, if you pay one, you got to pay all of them. Here's one of my solutions is there seems to be like this false ceiling for how much you can compensate a college athlete who's on scholarship. And that ceiling is about $50,000. What I don't understand is what do you, where do you come up with that $50,000 figure? Because if you're a Tim Tebow, You should be making more than his offensive lineman or the backup quarterback. I know the NCAA is all about equality, and I'm totally on board with Title IX, but I think just like in the real world where some people make more money than others do, there should be more of a a range of what you can make based on what you're bringing to the table for your college university. Do you agree with that?
1: You know, I absolutely do agree with it, uh, and, and I think that it's it's a, a nuanced agreement. Uh, Kenneth Shropshire wrote a book called The Business of Sports Agents, and his first chapter, I believe, in that book was uh, debunking this uh, idea of amateurism uh, that we're holding up. You know, it's true. Tim Tebow, Reggie Bush, all these guys—they make a tremendous amount of money for the universities. And I know at uh, the University of Oregon and the University of Southern California, and schools that I'm familiar with, the kids get around eleven hundred, twelve hundred dollars a month uh, while living amidst people with tremendous amounts of money, some of whom are driving Mercedes, uh, BMWs, et cetera. These guys, the football players, that is, are the biggest stars on campus, and yet they have to accept, uh, you know, having less money than most everybody around them or a lot of people around them at least. You know, it's difficult. Do I think college athletes should be paid? Absolutely. How do you do that? I don't know. I mean, that is an incredibly difficult task uh, to figure out. But in the meantime, we have rules that are in place, period. And they need to be followed until we come up with a better solution. And that's what I think we're looking at today with all of these agents, et etc. Certainly kids should be paid uh, commensurate to what they're providing to the university. But the NCAA, as you mentioned, is about equality. And until we address the systemic uh... issue that is the definition of amateurism and how we uh... how we conceptualize that and put it into practice and i think we just need to ensure that schools are doing everything they can and all the governing bodies are doing everything they can to make sure the kids are able to follow the rules and uh... and and, and getting a good education you know it's, it's something i think we often forget you and I have talked about this. Certainly there are other things that they're there to do. Some football players are there to play football, period. But at the end of the day, incredible opportunity to get an education. I'd like to see them figure out a way to give the players a little bit more compensation without turning them necessarily into professionals right away.
2: You know, the other thing that this Sports Illustrated story shone shown the spotlight on is really that You have agents and runners not just approaching the players, but they're approaching their coaches on the high school level. They're approaching their family members. And sometimes there are payments that are made to those people, not directly to the player to kind of circumvent the system. How do you deal with that? Because, you know, you can't be everywhere 24-7. And that's what I think is more dangerous than anything else, frankly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. You know, to give you uh, just an interesting look at it, I'm aware of situations now where there are AAU coaches who are having money funneled to them, as you mentioned, uh, by agents through really actually pretty sophisticated mechanisms businesses, shell companies, et cetera. It's, it's really interesting stuff. How do you stop that? I don't think you can. Uh, And I think the earlier it starts, the more difficult it becomes to address. But really what we focus on at Synergy, and, and, and this is something I believe firmly, is wagging your finger at kids or punishing them incessantly is not going to, in and of itself, solve the problem, you also have to win, and I know this sounds a bit hokey, but it's true, you have to win their hearts and minds. You have to make the kids understand why accepting inducements from agents beforehand that are relatively small in comparison to what they can make down the road is actually detrimental to their careers in the long term. And until you get to that aspect of it, until you educate the kids not on why they should stay away from agents to protect the school, but on why they should stay away from agents giving them inducements to protect themselves, you're not gonna see much of a change. So I think, as I mentioned earlier, it's gotta be a holistic approach, Brian. We have to have everybody working in unison, not only to keep the agents away to ensure that the kids are aware of why they should stay away at least in the beginning and how to make good business decisions on the back end when it's time to deal with them because at the end of the day they all need agents to negotiate contracts in the NFL and it's a reality that we face so you know let's prepare the kids to deal with that world but let's do it let's be proactive let's start early let's make sure that the kids know exactly what they're facing and work our tails off to ensure that a lot more of them succeed than are currently doing so today
2: see you said something that I disagree with and we'll have this conversation another day you said these kids need Need agents to negotiate contracts in the NFL that's something I don't agree with I think in today's day and age with contracts being pretty well structured and you know you're either going to get the low the middle or the high end of the spectrum I think you can have a lawyer do it I think you could pay that lawyer by the hour and I think you eliminate a lot of this mess now I know I'm going to anger a lot of the agents that are out there I have some friends in the industry who are agents and you know I see the agents usefulness when it comes to marketing deals and and community relations and public relations and things of that nature. But I think in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and in the NFL, it's basically, it's there. It's it's the low, the middle end, or the high end of the spectrum. You know, in the NBA, you've got a rookie salary slot. It is what it is. It's not going to change, you know. And I just don't know that the agent has as much usefulness as they did before and then you look at all the trouble that they cause i think there should be death penalties for agents frankly if you do something illegal you're done you lose your license you can't practice anymore make it very very firm and make it understandable to everyone that if you screw up or you do something illegal you're done there's no three strikes and you're out it's one and done
1: I'm 100% in agreement with you on the death penalty for agents. If you get caught doing something illegal, you should be done, period. I agree with you there. A nuanced answer on the they don't need agents... One, I would say, look at Ricky Williams and the first deal that he did with Master P, who had a team of lawyers working for him to negotiate that contract. Not all lawyers are made alike. So at the end of the day, the point is the same. If we look at agent from a legal definition to somebody who's representing your interest that you have empowered to negotiate on your behalf, you still need to know who that lawyer should be that you should choose. Uh, Like I said, you open up a phone book, spin your finger, and point to a lawyer. They're not all going to be the same. So I'm with you. I 100% agree. Yes, lawyers could negotiate these contracts in the NFL a little bit different than the nba uh you have front-end money back-end money there's incentives uh escalators etc so i do think that there's a place for uh specialized knowledge for instance i've said this a million times you can't ask a divorce attorney to walk into the courtroom and defend you in a capital murder case and expect to escape the electric chair you do that problems are you're you're probably gonna find yourself in some trouble so I'm with you and I think that there are other answers but when I say they need agents they need somebody to represent their interests i.e. they can't walk into the room and do the negotiation themselves and expect to get maximum uh, you know maximum uh, impact on on their uh, contracts.
2: No I agree with you there but I think the NFL Players Association as well as all the other leagues and their players associations need to be much more strict with who is allowed to become certified as an agent that is a very loose system anyone can can fill out the paperwork and write a check, and basically they're an agent, and that's not working, and that's one of the roots of this problem. Rand Gatlin of Synergy Sports. Rand, how do people find you online? How do they find you on Twitter?
1: You guys can find us on our website, it's Sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at at SynergySports, same spelling. And uh, we're not hard to find. We're out there and, uh, and, and always willing to help. Anyone has questions, uh, whether they're in the industry or not, feel free to bounce them off of us.
2: Well, you're doing a great job, and I would say this week validates, again, the purpose for your business. So uh, thanks for taking the time to join us, and uh, best of success moving forward. We'll have you on again soon.
1: Brian, love being with you thanks
2: a lot I appreciate it that's Rand Gatlin of Synergy Sports when we come back I'm going to tell you who is going to be joining me on the show right here on Sports Business Radio next week you're listening to Sports Business Radio I'll be right back this is SBR back with more after this this is Brian Berger host of Sports Business Radio every championship team has one thing in common good coaching And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.
0: The website is sportsbusinessradio.com.
2: Well, secondary ticket prices for the NLCS Game 1 in Philadelphia this weekend have increased 7% in the wake of the Giants winning the NLDS on Monday to face the Phillies, according to secondary ticket site fansnap.com. The average price offered for the game, which is scheduled to feature Roy Halladay and Tim Lincecum as the starting pitchers, $552 Griggs people are going to pay average
3: ticket price to see these two aces deal in game one of the NLCS and it's going to be a battle I mean that is one that you I could pay I mean that's going to be quite a game to be at and it should be a great time and I'm sure it's not going to disappoint it's going to be a great match another quick baseball note
2: kudos to the Texas Rangers on their alcohol-free celebration when they beat the Rays to advance to the ALCS. Griggs, I thought this was cool. You've got Josh Hamilton and CJ Wilson who are recovering alcoholics and the team agreed that you know what we don't need alcohol we don't need no bubbly we're going ginger ale style they did ginger ale celebration it just shows the the whole makeup of that team and i thought it was really cool when i saw that plus canada dry is doing well right now <laughs> they're yeah, loving that <laughs> they had lots of canada dry in the locker room and that's great and uh, it'll be interesting to watch the rangers take on the yankees rangers first ever win in the postseason. All right, I told you that next week we have a big guest coming up. It's the new president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. He's the former president of the University of Washington. So much going on with the NCAA, especially in light of the Sports Illustrated story that came out this week with the confession of the sports agent. We'll catch up with Mark Emmert, get to know him better, what his style is. We had Dr. Miles Brand, the late Dr. Brand, former president of the NCAA on this show many times. Mark Emmert has some big shoes to fill, but uh, it'll be good to get to know him next week right here on Sports Business Radio. I want to thank Rand Gatlin from Synergy Sports for joining us. I want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page. You can find us on iTunes, under Sports Business Radio. I'm on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. We'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.